What did Paul say? He said, don't just believe what I say because I say it. He commended the Bereans because they what? They searched the scriptures to see whether the things he said were so. And any minister, any preacher worth his salt will encourage you to search the scriptures to see whether the things he says are so. Why? Because the things that man says are not important. But as a minister of the gospel, it is my job to share with you what God says. And you need to search the scriptures to find out whether the things that I say are so. Because it's more important that you listen to God than that you listen to me. Great to be with you this morning, um, and I have discovered one thing about this week, I actually kind of already knew it, that I will never be on any Alaskan adventure show on any cable channel anytime soon. So this is not my idea of ideal weather. But God has blessed even throughout this week because we have not had high winds or excessive snowfall. So I am thankful for that. Um, I'm very grateful to be here today. And today we are finishing Acts chapter 11. And actually, this is actually Valentine's Day, which we are celebrating today is actually a great day, I believe, for this message. I just wanted to, um, before we begin, read a few verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which was read earlier. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I think will be a, a very good intro to today's um, message. Paul says in verse 3, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. And I think as we are going through this year of 2020 and now spread into 2021, one of the things that I have noticed is that, and again, I probably, I knew this before, but one thing that has been reaffirmed is how much people rely on the government for their assistance. And we are constantly talking about how much the government should do to help us out of our present circumstances, whether it be the price of health care, whether it be because of this pandemic, we need stimulus checks. Whatever the case may be, we often look to the government. But as time has gone on, one of the things that I have noticed throughout my childhood and on to now is that as the church has surrendered their responsibilities, the government has picked them up. And the government does them to a certain extent, but with a cost. But if you look through history, 
You'll notice that the Christian church is among the most generous, most giving people in our country, certainly, and across the world. Why do I say this? Because you look at the history of many of our hospitals, and they have Christian roots. That's why we have hospitals named such things as St. Mary's. But no stimulus check, no government tax can replace the benefits of being a cheerful giver. And today we're going to talk about the church in Acts continuing their cheerful giving ways. Remember we read way back in Acts chapter 2 that the church had all things in common and gave as others had need. And I believe God blessed that. And I think he can bless it again. I have definitely been benefited from the generosity of the Lord's saints, both here and in other places, and I am very grateful. So, today we're going to talk about the church at Antioch listens to God and take, act, takes action. One of the key things we want to consider today is not just listening to God, but acting on what God says. So let's read the first two verses of our small section today in Acts chapter 11, verses 27 and 28. And in those days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth throughout all the world which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. So Luke is telling us that Agabus came and gave this prophecy of famine throughout all the world. Now, it's important to note that in the context of this passage, the Roman world was often referred to as all the world. So when we're talking about all the world, most likely we are talking about the Roman Empire. And Luke makes it clear to us from this passage that Agabus was speaking by the Spirit of God, and he tells us when this famine came to be, because he wants to tell us that this was a true prophecy from God. Remember, God said in Deuteronomy that if you have someone that prophesies something and it doesn't come true, they are a false prophet. So it was important for Luke, being the thorough writer that he was, to say this did come true and this is when. So it was during this time of Claudius Caesar, and I have this note that I found in my uh, studies this week. Yesterday, I was looking at this and seeing what the historical context for that was. And it says, we know from other sources that Claudius's uh, principate 
meaning the principality where he ruled, was marked by a succession of bad harvests and consequent scarcity in various parts of the empire, in Rome, Greece, and Egypt, as well as in Judea. So this is a historically documented time where famine occurred. We can think back to the story of Joseph, how Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dream, and he said there's going to be seven years of plenty here in Egypt. You're going to have more food than you know what to do with. But, he said, the reason for the seven years of plenty is that there will be seven years of famine. And what did Pharaoh do? He said, let us seek out a man in whom is the Spirit of God, and let's appoint him over this process to gather the food so that when we get to famine, we will be prepared. And guess what? He said, there's no one like Joseph. I'm going to make him my second in command. If he says something to you, it is so. And so we know that God gives us warnings and prepares us for times of need. And that is what he is doing in the church in Antioch through Agabus. Agabus said, this is going to happen. And Luke says, it came to be. So we know that Agabus was a man who was under the influence and control of the Holy Spirit. And uh, as we go through uncertain times, such as right now, we know that we can trust God to be with us. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So let's look at a couple scriptures about God's faithfulness to be with us through the rough times. Let's start with Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. I think it's important, I know it's been important for me in these last few days to realize that God is in control. Whatever is happening in Washington, D.C., God is in control. It can be really hard sometimes because we, we don't understand what God is doing, but we know that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And we simply pray for our rulers that they would make wise decisions. And then if we could read John 16, 13. John 16, 13. Albeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself it's so important today, especially in this time where there's a lot of people saying that, I, that they speak for God, for us to be people of the word and to trust the Holy Spirit that he will share with us his truth. 
What did Paul say? He said, don't just believe what I say because I say it. He commended the Bereans because they what? They searched the scriptures to see whether the things he said were so. And any minister, any preacher worth his salt will encourage you to search the scriptures to see whether the things he says are so. Why? Because the things that man says are not important. But as a minister of the gospel, it is my job to share with you what God says. And you need to search the scriptures to find out whether the things that I say are so. Because it's more important that you listen to God than that you listen to me. That is why Paul would say things like, be imitators of me. But he didn't stop there, did he? He said, as I also imitate Christ. Why? Because Paul knew that there were flaws. The same man that wrote that also wrote Romans chapter 7. The things that I would do, I do not. But the things that I would not do, those things I do. Who will save me from this body of death? O wretched man that I am. And then he says, But praise be to the Lord Jesus Christ who giveth us the victory. The only reason I'm able to preach before you today is because of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And my encouragement to you is to rely on him because there will come a day, there may come a day when I am not coming here anymore, but God's word will still be true. God's word will endure long past my lifetime because the Bible says the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will last forever. And we know how dangerous it is to put in confidence in men because we look at Judges and it says, all the days of Joshua and all the days of the men that served with Joshua, the people served God. But then it says, when the men that served with Joshua died, there arose a generation that knew not God, neither the works that he did. Well, may that never be said of us, that we raise a generation that knows not God. It's our responsibility to teach the next generation to know God. And that's a greater responsibility than anything else that you could accomplish in your life. Please hear me on this. Especially in this era where we have so many public charlatans pretending to preach the word of God. But they basically say, come as you are and stay the way you are and, and we'll just love you and, and it will be okay with God. But what did Jesus say? He didn't say that. He said, go and sin what? No more. You see, a true Christian life is a changed life one that seeks righteousness. Am I perfect? No. 
But my inward man is being renewed day after day, even as my outward man perisheth. So this is so important. We need to listen to the voice of God because there's a lot of bad voices in the world today. Good listening is like tuning in a radio station. For good results, you can only listen to a station at a time. You can listen to only one station at a time. Trying to listen to my wife while looking over an office report is like trying to receive two radio stations at the same time. I end up with distortion and frustration. Listening requires a choice of where I place my attention. To tune in to my partner, I must choose to put away all that will divide my attention. That might mean laying down the newspaper, moving away from the dishes in the sink, putting down the book I'm reading, setting aside my projects. And that was Robert Heron in a publication called Homemade in June 1987. So if I could encourage you who are married couples to give your full attention to your spouse when you are conversating with them. And if I could encourage all of us, I would say listen to God. What did Jesus say? He said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand so then we go to Acts eleven twenty nine, and we're going to see that the disciples decide to make a plan so Acts 11.29 says, Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea. So it's one thing to hear about a need or to have a need that needs to be met. It's another thing to make a plan to meet that need. And this, these people in the church in Antioch we're saying we're going to make a plan to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea. And so they make a plan to do it. If we could look at Psalm 37, 4 and 5. Psalm 37, 4 and 5. I want to focus on the second part of the passage, although the fact that they were delighting in the Lord is a key to their ability, I believe, to hear the Spirit through Agabus' message and then to what? To commit your way unto the Lord and He will bring it to pass. So they made a plan, they committed to the Lord, and they took action. See, it's not enough to, to make plans, to have intentions to do something. There has to be action. There's a saying, old saying that says, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So we have 
to act. Jesus didn't say, well, I intend to go to the cross. No, the Bible says that he set his face like a flint. You know how deliberate Jesus is? When he went to the woman um, in Samaria, it was a very deliberate thing. He said, I must needs go to Samaria. Most Jews would circumvent Samaria entirely. Jesus said, I must needs go there. Why? Because he knew that that woman was there. Same thing with the, the Syrophoenician woman who had a demon-possessed girl. He knew that he needed to be where that girl was. And the woman that reached out to touch his garment, she wasn't an an interruption to where he was going. She was one of his tasks for that day, a divine appointment. And he, he... The life of Jesus really shows us that there really is no such thing as an interruption most of the time. A lot of times we think that something is getting in our way from accomplishing our goals, but it has a purpose for what God wants to accomplish in and through us. Could we also look at James 2, 14 to 16? James 2, 14 to 16. So here we see that it wouldn't be enough for the church in Antioch to say, to send a message to the church in Judea and say, we're praying for you. We know that you're struggling financially, but we're, we're praying for you. Hopefully you get through it. And I, and I feel like that is often the way that we approach um, getting through things on a cultural level, we say, we'll, we'll pray for America to turn back to God. We will we'll pray that the right leaders will be appointed, but we don't take the actions that we have afforded to us to be a part of that process. Faith without action, faith without works, is dead. And so the need... To do the work is emphasized here. They made a plan to help out these Judean Christians. And they're continuing to follow this pattern of providing for their own. It's not the government's job to provide for the poor and the destitute. It's not the government's job to make sure that the widow and her children have food and clothing. It's the church's job. And so often we get caught up in many other not-so-bad causes 
But we don't focus on the primary, one of the primary jobs of the church, which is to meet the needs of those who are in its fellowship. And I'm thankful that that is not true of the saints here in Holland. But I would encourage you to keep that up. To when you hear about needs in your community, to seek to meet them in a practical way. One of the most liberal givers to charitable causes said to a friend who praised him for his generosity, you make a mistake. I am not generous. I am by nature extremely avicarious. But when I was a young man, I had the good sense to see how mean and belittling such a passion was, and I forced myself to give. At first, I tell you, it was hard for me to part with even a penny, but I persisted until the habit of liber liberality was formed. Now, I like to give. The thing is, as a believer in Jesus Christ, all that I have belongs to who? It belongs to him, and he's given it to me as a steward. What did Paul say about steward? It is required among stewards that a man be found faithful. And um, I've heard people say, well, if I was a millionaire, I would give away so much money. But you know what? If you're not giving away money before you're a millionaire, you'll never give it away when you are. Because giving doesn't have to do with an amount of money. It has to do with a heart. That's why it says here that they gave as they were able. It was never, you have to give such and such an amount. That's the modern idea of giving. That's the idea of taxes. We all have to give the same. If we all contribute to taxes, then the poor will be taken care of. But what did Jesus say about the poor? He said, the poor you will always have with you. He says, give as you are able. That is what he has asked. And so then, after they made a plan, what's the next step? They have to take action. So they sent relief to Judea. Acts 11.30 says, Which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas went to Tarsus and got Saul and brought him into the work at Antioch. Even though other people might not have remembered, Barnabas was this encourager. Barnabas was the one that said, Saul's the real deal. He's been saved by the almighty grace of God. He's part of our church now. And he knew that Saul would be an effective witness and worker in this work in Antioch. And then they send the funds by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Accountability. They didn't just send one guy. What does Ecclesiastes say to us? Two are better than one. For if one falls, the other is there to help him get up. I'm sure it was dangerous to be traveling with 
a big amount of money. And there was also accountability there to make sure that the money reached its destination. But they made a plan. Well, first, they listened to the Holy Spirit. Then they made a plan. And then they executed the plan. And that's the way God wants us to operate today. When he shares something with us, when he puts, us, puts it on our heart to give to someone or to reach out to someone, he might not even tell us why. I remember hearing, hearing stories growing up of different missionaries that were praying for a specific amount of money. And the people, somebody would send them money, not, not knowing their need, and they would open the envelope and find the exact amount they needed. Why? Because they might not have known the need, but God, who governs in the affairs of men, knew exactly what the person needed. He always provides, never early, never late, but always right on time. Can we look at 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19? 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to... Trust in uncertain riches, but in living the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Notice here, God does not condemn riches, but He tells the rich to beware that their money does not start controlling them. That they don't make the pursuit of wealth um, their main goal, because that will lead them to many sorrows. Perfect example of this is Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Ebenezer Scrooge, he realizes that there's power in money, and he wants money. And originally... Originally, his goal isn't bad. He wants to set up a good future for him and his fiancée. But she makes an interesting point. When she comes to him later in life and says, Why aren't we married yet, Ebenezer? That's basically what she's saying. We should be married by now. And he, he just keeps going for more and more wealth. And... And she says, our promise is an old one made when we were poor and content to be so. Why? Because godliness with contentment is great gain. And Scrooge learns through the course of the story that having relationships with people and loving people is more important than all the money that he earned. Because it's kind of interesting to me that he 
didn't even use the money himself. He never lived opulently. He always lived in a dingy chamber that he didn't even really heat well. Wasn't lighted. He didn't live, so to speak, in the lap of luxury. He just stored up riches. And they weren't doing him or anyone else any good. But in the end of the story, he realizes that it is more blessed to give than to be to receive. And I like at the end where it talks about people laughing to see the change in him and how he became as good a man, as good a master, and as good of a person as the good old city ever knew. Now, of course, we know that only Jesus Christ can make that kind of difference. But we do know that he does make that kind of difference because he said, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And so, it's not the riches that you have. It's the way that you use them. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. God wants us to be cheerful givers. He wants us to give what we purpose in our hearts. Remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira. The issue was not that they sold their land and gave half of their money from their land to the church. That would have been perfectly acceptable. But the issue was that they wanted the church to believe that they gave it all. And they had two opportunities, because both Ananias and Sapphira had this opportunity to come clean and say, no, we, we didn't sell it for that much. But each time... They lied to Peter. And he says, you haven't lied to me, but you lied to the Spirit of God. And they were struck down and carried out and buried next to one another. As an example to the church, how much God prizes the truth. He said, buy the truth and sell it not. The truth matters. And who is the truth? Pilate said, what is truth? But that was, he said it when the truth was standing right in front of him. Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so God wants us to be a cheerful giver. He says that if we're faithful in little things, we'll be faithful in much. So if we want him to entrust us with more, being faithful with what we have is a good way to get there.
not a sacrifice, but a joy. A rich businessman and a prominent attorney were traveling around the world. They saw many impressive sights, but agreed that something they saw in Korea was the most impressive of all. One morning, as they walked along a country road in Korea, they saw a boy pulling a plow, which was steered by an old man. It amused the attorney so much that he insisted on taking a picture of the scene with his little pocket camera. Later, he showed the picture to a missionary in the next village, remarking about the peculiar spectacle. Yes, said the missionary, it seems very like a very strange way to plow a field, but I happen to know the boy and the old man well. They are very poor. However, when the little church was built here in the village, they wanted to contribute something. They had no money, they had not grain to spare, and winter was coming on. So they sold their ox and gave the money to the church building fund, and now minus the valuable animal they have to plow themselves. The men looked at each other for a moment, then the attorney said, But what a stupendous sacrifice, and why did you allow it? They did not feel that way about it. They regarded it as great joy that they had an ox to give to the Lord's work. And that is from the Sunday School Friend. But what an amazing story that God doesn't wish that you had thousands of dollars to give him. He just wants you to give him what you do have. Remember the boy on the mountain that day had five loaves and two fishes. And yet it fed 5,000 men plus women and children with 12 baskets left over. I'm sure that child's life was changed that day to see what Jesus can do when we surrender to him. So I hope that this encourages you this week. I hope that you will be open to the Spirit's call and the Spirit tells you to do something that you would do it with a full heart. And uh, sometimes it's not going to make sense. But God is faithful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this story in Acts chapter 11. How you prepared your people for famine. How you prepared your people to go through hard times. How they relied on the fellowship of one another to have that help them. And Lord, may we continue to fellowship with one another to help our fellow saints to love them well. Because, as you have said, people will know that we are your disciples by the love that we have for one another. And may that be true of all of us here today. And Lord, if there be anyone that does not know you, that has not experienced the love of God in Christ, I pray that they would do so today, that they would just pray and cry out to you and ask you to take their sins and to give, you, to give them your righteousness so that they can live and walk in newness of life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.